Today, I'm going to bring a message that, I, that is extremely personal for me, and it's very, very weighty, and it's difficult to encapsulate this topic in such a short time. There's so much to it, and what I don't want to do is give you so much information that you miss the revelation and you don't catch the heart behind what I want to say to you today. So it requires me to be very transparent about my own self, about my own heart, because you can't get this message without being open and honest. So it's, a, it's one of those messages that forces you to be transparent and to be authentic and to be real, okay? So I'm in a series titled Heavenly. And first, let me say welcome again to everybody here for the first time and watching online. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. We're in a series titled Heavenly. We've talked about the Heavenly Father, we've talked about the Heavenly Man, and we've talked about Heavenly Women in the Bible, which was last week. If you don't have a clear understanding about the importance of women in ministry, or you have an old wineskin biblical paradigm, or you're conflicted on that topic, go back and listen to last week's message. Today, we're gonna to talk about Heavenly Wisdom. Heavenly wisdom. Now, this is a wisdom that you'll never get anywhere on earth. It's complete opposite of the things of this world. You can't buy it. You can't get it from anything. You can't get it from a self-help book. <clears throat> you can only get it directly from the Lord and from heaven. And we all need heavenly wisdom desperately. When you get heavenly wisdom, you'll see different. You'll love different. You'll live different. Everything changes when you get heavenly wisdom in your life. Everything. Your perspective shifts. You get a complete paradigm shift. We define revelation as finally seeing for the first time what you've been looking at the whole time, which means there's things that God has set before you that you don't see, but he wants you to see. It's a setup. I'm telling you, everything's a setup. The fact that God even worked in your life when you were a knucklehead and a hardhead for so long and then loved you enough to bring you out of it and to reveal to you just how broken and how dysfunctional you were. And if you haven't seen it, God has a way of showing it to you. The older you get, you'll realize it. The key is to help the young ones to not go down the road so many of us have gone down. But wisdom is a shift. Wisdom is a perspective. Wisdom comes from above, true wisdom. But there, there are two types of wisdom. It's like the force. There's the dark side. And then there's the light. There's the truth. And I will most likely have to do the dark side of wisdom, I think, next week, unless the Lord leads me otherwise. Because when God begins to bring revelation and knowledge and understanding to your life, if you don't know what to do with it or how to process it, you'll use it erroneously. Because wisdom is a double-edged sword. On one side, it can kill and destroy, and on the other side, it can bring life. I went to the gym the other day, and when I walked into the gym, people have discovered that I'm a pastor, and there's several people that sit and hang out, older men, have their, their, their best workout is drinking coffee. And I walk in and they're like, oh, Pastor David, come over here. And it's like, man, I, I'm in the zone. 
I'm ready to work out and they're ready to have a conversation. And, you know, he started to, one particular gentleman started to point out all these issues of other ministers teaching erroneously, especially on end times, and that in his opinion, it's all about money. He started naming off all these names in front of a bunch of people to me. And so the thing about wisdom and knowledge is that it really does give you power. But if you don't use it properly, you'll kill, and that power will make you prideful. This is what Solomon would discover with the gift that he was given in the book of Ecclesiastes. He would genuinely see the dark side of wisdom, and it would kill him. It would lead him completely astray. And so wisdom, heavenly wisdom, has to be undergirded with perfect love and understanding from the heart of God. If you don't know the Father's heart and that he's good and that he cares, then when he reveals things to you, you will hide and protect what he's showing you. It's, it literally is hypocrisy because I'm being pretentious and I'm not being truthful with what God's revealing. Heavenly wisdom reveals root systems, ideologies, thought processes, so you can accurately represent him to other people, which means God has to uncover Heavenly wisdom is the ability to see and understand the mysteries of God. But when God reveals a hidden thing to you, if you don't have his heartbeat accurately, you will use it erroneously. And so when I was walking into the gym and he pointed that out to me, I said, let me tell you something that God showed me about that. There's a bunch of guys sitting around. He was all excited to tell me what he wanted me to come into agreement with him. And I said to him, I said, listen, God showed me people like that a few years ago. And he showed me the issues in my heart that I think they're fools, but he may be using them just like he used me when I was a fool because he turns fools to gold. And the minute that I think that they're the fool and I'm not, or I wasn't, is the minute that I fall into deception and what I realized was that I had all this deception under, lying underneath, wrapped around nobility of God, and it was fake. So I wasn't authentic. It had hidden selfish ambition of what I could get from you, what you could do for me, or how I could appear and present myself. And it was the opposite of heavenly wisdom. It was demonic wisdom, which is sensual and earthly, and full of selfish greed or ambition. I'm going to show it to you. And to this day, there's this war on the inside of God says, are you going to crack? Because there's always a fight. The weakness of God, God uses the weak things to confound the wise. The foolishness of God is of the wisest of men, greater than the wisest of men. So in my own natural wisdom and knowledge and understanding, there's a war. It's a constant tension. It's the positive and the negative. God begins to reveal things to you. You can cover it and hide it, or in wisdom, you can surrender it and reveal it and uncover it. Now, you have to feel safe. You have to be in a safe house. You have to have safe people around you. 
and you have to know that God is good and that he's for you or you'll never uncover. So we just live hiding. So to understand this message today, I would encourage you to take some notes because I genuinely, genuinely believe this is a timely word for you and for me. Let's define wisdom. Wisdom is the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. I have experience, I have knowledge about things, and I've learned to make good decisions from those things. It's the soundness of an action or decision with regard to the application of experience, knowledge, and good judgment. It means that now, because I have the quality of knowledge, experience, and good judgment, I can apply it. It's the application of what you've learned properly. It's to properly apply what has been shown to you. That's why you, the word is so important because it gives you proper application of who God really is. It makes you like him. We don't read the word to be a better person. We read the word to know a person. Then we become better people, okay? And then finally, it's the body of knowledge and principles that develops within a, specific, a specified society and period. So, it can seem that there's a wisdom of the age as more technology is being revealed, as more things are being discovered. But God showed me something about that a few years ago when he said, there's nothing new under the sun. And I said, but this seems new. He says, no, it was already there. It may be new to you, but you just discovered it. So heavenly wisdom is the discovery of what you weren't seeing and then how to properly apply it. So God spoke to me about the internet a few years back. In the middle of this incredible encounter, I'm crying with God as he's showing me all these root systems. He said, oh, by the way, I want to talk to you about the internet. It's like, okay. He goes, oh, the internet was, is my design. I designed that for a purpose. As the glory, as the waters cover the earth of the sea, so the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. No longer will you say to your neighbor, know the Lord, because the knowledge of the Lord will be all over the earth. God has a way right now through that camera, people all over the world can hear this message and find out and discover the knowledge of God through something that the devil is perverting, but God can use also for good. It's, it's a matter of how you use it. Yeah. So, Again, God gives you wisdom and knowledge and understanding that can be used for good or for evil. But heavenly wisdom is only pure. Heavenly wisdom has no schism. Heavenly wisdom has no darkness to it. And it has a purpose and it looks like something. And I wanna teach you guys that today. I want you to understand what heavenly wisdom really looks like in our hearts. So, Here's what I believe. I believe that the church is in an awakening revival period where God is pouring out heavenly wisdom to give you understanding because heavenly wisdom can shift the times that we live in. I'll show it to you in the Bible. We can literally shift the world around us when we get heavenly wisdom. So what God's doing right now, if you genuinely want to grow with the Lord and become who you were called to be, any of you, in your heart, 
you are going to be getting downloads of heavenly wisdom. The key is what you do with it and how you process it, because it's very weighty when God begins to open your eyes. Because the more you see and the more you know, the more responsibility that you have. Let me give you an example. In James chapter three, verse one, it says, let not many of you become teachers because those who teach have a greater responsibility and will come under stricter judgment. Now, the, the premise is, is that the stricter judgment is not a bad thing. This God, all God's judgments are life-giving. They're designed, and even in the evil and the wickedness, the purpose is to preserve and advance life. So when God brings judgment, you should not be scared of judgment unless you don't know the Lord. Just know the Lord and you'll be fine. Like surrender your life to God, you'll be all right. But then God starts to bring this stricter judgment into our lives and it becomes weighty because God doesn't let you put your trust in anything else of this world. God has this way of confounding you to where anything else you're putting your hope and your trust in, anything, your career, your money, your spouse, your kids, God will not let you put your trust in anything else but him because he loves you. So this confounding component is designed to break you so that you will look to him for truth and wisdom. Proverbs 24 says, by wisdom do we build. We build by wisdom. So there's no demilitarized zone in the kingdom of God. There's none. You're either on the Lord's side or on the devil's side, but you would say, I'm not on the devil's side. Anybody that's not putting their trust in the Lord is eating from the wrong tree and is dying and is leading themselves with their own intellect. And I'm gonna show you that here in a moment. So God is pouring out in this day an awakening in all of our lives. I guarantee you, any of you, if you will get desperate and say, God, I wanna know you, you're gonna start to have a shift in your life. It's happening. The Hebrew mindset of wisdom is that you're skillful in war. Is that you know how to fight. The Bible says, fight the good fight of faith. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. All of us are having to work things out of our hearts and our lives, and there's this tension. Will I break and surrender? See, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Why would you ever want your spirit broken? If you don't understand heavenly wisdom, you won't understand that scripture. Because we would say, you don't want to break your child's spirit. Of course you don't. What God is saying is when you allow yourself and your selfish ambition and your envy and your hiding, all these things that are on the inside and that tension that you feel and you just break open in total trust and surrender to the Lord, now you become a sacrifice to God. And now he's like, man, I got you finally where I wanted you because you're not being pretentious anymore. That was the prostitute with the alabaster jar. The prostitute with the alabaster jar, that, that oil was worth $250,000. It was given to her by her father. She so tre- treasured that oil that she chose to sell her body for sex instead of sell the oil. But when Jesus came along, and she got the, she could see and sense and know he was fully the way, the truth, and the life. His love and his mercy and his kindness. What did she do? She broke the jar, anointed his head, fell at his feet, weeping while she wiped his feet 
with her hair. And that's what happens when God begins to reveal the things that are on the inside that you don't see. You have to not be afraid of those things. They have to be exposed or you will never stay the same. And we all have it. There's no hiding anymore. So God puts me on spectacle and has me confess things and tell things and deal with things because I don't want it in me anymore. And I feel the tension. I still wrestle against envy. I still wrestle against selfish ambition. The world is full of it. It's everywhere around you. But God wants to get it out of you. We were raised with it, so many of us. And you don't even know it's there. That's the, the deception. It's self-deception. You don't see it, but I'm gonna help you to start seeing it. It's heavenly wisdom. Like, let me give you, I'm just, I have time, so I get to move a little freely today. And thank you all for being here, by the way. And thanks everybody for listening. First Corinthians 8, 1 says, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. No one knows the way that they ought to know. Go read it. Right there it is. We all have knowledge. Knowledge pubs up, but love edifies. Look at verse two. No one knows as they ought to know. And if, if he knows anything, he knows nothing. You think you have all the facts and you're smart enough and wise enough and figured it all out in your discernment? God knows way more than you know. And the problem is, is as God starts to think, what's the scripture in the context of? Now, I'm gonna paraphrase it for you. Concerning that person you think's an idiot doing things that they shouldn't do and they should know better, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge becomes prideful. You know how many great messages I've preached? I count it all a loss. God doesn't ever let me go back to list, to re-preach any of my messages the way that I did because knowledge puffs up. I have to constantly stay in perfect love. One becomes prideful and one builds other, it edifies other people. And it goes on to say, but if, if you love God, you're known by God. And if you're known by God, that word known, look at the, go forward a little bit. But if anyone loves God, this one's known by him. If you're known by God, he knows every nook and cranny. He knows all the hairs on top of your head. He knows the thoughts in your head. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. So now what I need to do is get in line with him so I can only say what he says. Because when God starts to reveal to me what he sees, I go, I am a fool. He goes, yes, you are. <laughs> but the foolish things of God. In fact, I'm going to show you in a minute. If anybody thinks he's wise, instead, go ahead and just become a fool. Because when you become a fool, you'll actually become wise. God confounds the wisdom of this world. So he says, I'm going to break you open, but I love you. I know you. I've always known you. I knew you when you were in prison. I knew you when you were doing drugs. I knew you when you played the harlot. I knew you when you questioned me. I knew you when you doubted me. I knew you when you hid from me. I knew you when you did all that stuff, and I still loved you. And the more you start to see how God was with you, the more you'll break open and you'll weep because how could God have loved me so well even through it? And then you start saying to yourself, how did I live so long not knowing what I know now? 
How in the world did I survive not with all this stuff on the inside? He says, because I loved you and love covers a multitude of sins. Then don't you think that I wasn't caring for you and loving for you? You were just combusting because you sold yourself to slavery. But just like Hosea's wife, God had Hosea marry a prostitute. They have some kids. She says, screw you. I'm going back to living my life as a prostitute. So she leaves and gets human trafficked. She gets, she gets bought into, sold into human trafficking. She becomes a sex slave. So then there she is at the stock, stockyard, standing up on the stage, being auctioned off. She's sold into human traffic and trafficking. And God says to Hosea, go and buy your wife back. And he says, this was you and Israel this is what I do for you. That'll shift all your thinking. That'll tear down every one of your narratives. Oh, you left me? You went back, you had an affair? Wait, how many men? And we'll, we were the wife. To be wise is to be skillful in administration and war and to be ethical and religious. This is the proper religion, not man-made religion. It means to be truly pious, properly. It means to be prudent. Anytime you see prudent in the Bible, it also means to be intelligent or wise. It means to act with or show care, not just for today, but for tomorrow. Some of you are so stuck in the past, but you're also stuck in the, in the tomorrow. So you can't live in the present and properly live your life in a way that sets you up better for tomorrow. So Jesus said, don't even worry about tomorrow. You can't add a second to your life. I have 50 things I can worry about tomorrow, right now. He says, trust me in the now. You can't add any time to your life. It's such an extreme comparison that he says, you're so worried about that. If you'll put your trust in me, I know what you need and I can care for you. It's all a setup and you don't even know it. And so God says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make you prudent. I'm gonna give you a genuine care about your tomorrow. That's wisdom. It means to be shrewd. Now, shrewd has, the word shrewd or shrewdness was a negative connotation initially. But in the proper light, to be shrewd means to have or show sharp powers of judgment. It means to teach, instruct, and deal with others with wisdom. You'd say, well, God doesn't, t God doesn't call you to judge. Oh, yes, he does, but he calls you to judge accurately. And what he says is instead of worrying about the speck in your neighbor's eye, let's take the log or the plank. A better word for log is a plank. It's a house of cards. 
We live in houses of cards. We have all these belief systems that are holding us up and causing us to judge other people while we have this thing on the inside that God says, one blow and I'll blow down your house of cards. Focus on the false ideologies and belief systems in your heart before you try to fix somebody else. And once you do, help somebody else get the speck out of their eye. Help them to self-realize. Don't cut it out. Show them the truth with heavenly wisdom so that they would say, I don't want it anymore. But now you're not being hypocritical anymore. The log or the beam is hypocrisy. And we can all have it. So to be shrewd means you're sharp in how you judge. It means to be, have your wits about you. The word wit means a person who has an aptitude for using words and ideas in a quick and inventive way. They're mentally sharp and inventive. They've been learned and educated. The problem is, is the intellect can destroy you or the intellect submitted to the Holy Spirit can bring you life and give you wisdom and make you full of wit. You can be shrewd, you can be prudent, and you can have proper wisdom for all matters. You have knowledge, experience, and proper application. Okay? And so you have to have an understanding of the intellect. We say here that the intellect's a terrible master, but a wonderful servant, meaning your intellect is given to you by, by design, but it needs to be submitted to the headship of Christ. Otherwise, you're leading yourself. You, I don't want to lead myself anymore. I'm not a good leader of myself without him. But with him, I become a great leader of myself, my family, everyone around me, my coffee shops, my business, people, all the struggles, all the weights, all the pressures. You can do it if you're walking with the Lord and you're leaning on him. You're vulnerable, you're dependent, and you realize, hey, I was never meant to carry this weight without him. I can carry burdens with him. But Jesus died on the cross. He took your place to take that weight from you. Here's what the word intellect means. It means the faculty or reasoning and understanding objectively, especially with regard to abstract or academic matters. The understanding or mental powers of a particular person. But the problem is it's supposed to be objectively, not subjectively. It means that I'm not giving you my opinion. It means that my intellect is not of me. Intellect came from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you can know good and evil, but if you don't have the tree of life giving you wisdom about it, you're dying. You gotta be eating from the tree of life. So let's look at the scripture. We're gonna look at heavenly versus worldly wisdom. Two types of wisdom the Bible talks about. James chapter three, verse 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Your life is an advertisement. Your life is an advertisement. You know a tree by its fruit. I don't judge the actions of a man's heart. I judge, I'm sorry, I don't judge the motives of a man's heart. I judge the actions. And I judge it compared to the spiritual truths of God's word and his kingdom. Not to destroy, not to kill, not to tear down, but to cover, heal, and bring life to somebody else's life. And so if anyone's wise or understanding among us, it's revealed by the good conduct that are done 
in our life, and especially in the meekness of wisdom. So we're going to look at the meekness of wisdom here in just a moment. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that comes from where? It's heavenly. Look, it's above you. It comes from above. It comes from another place. And we've defined what heavenly looks like in this, in this series. It's a cultural mindset that comes from a specific place that's perfect and pure. It's a place that's holy and upright. It's a place that loves perfectly, that judges perfectly, that has no darkness in it. That wisdom is first pure, peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So let me break this down for you. Bear with me. I know that this is a heavy topic, but it's so important. Our life is an advertisement of our wisdom and understanding by our good conduct, and specifically by how we speak. Another way to say good conduct is good conversation. The way you talk, I can learn a lot about a person by listening to them for about 30 seconds to a minute, right? That's discernment. But if you don't know how to accurately discern properly and what to do with what you're seeing, you're gonna treat that person contrary to the way God would want you to treat them. Wisdom is meek. Heavenly wisdom, the meekness of wisdom. Now, some of you may not like what meek means, but God calls you to meek, be meek. In fact, the meek will inherit the earth. You want to be in, get an inheritance? Become meek. Meek is, is very contrary to the world system. Meek means to be gentle in your spirit. It means to, be, to have a mild disposition. It means to be quiet, gentle, easily imposed on. Why would anybody want to be easily imposed on? Well, I'll explain it to you. It means to be submissive and it means to be humble. It's the opposite of pride. The, the wise man does not brag about his accomplishments. That's why Paul, who could have bragged and even said, if you want me to brag, let me tell you what I've done. But really, I don't even want to boast in that. I'd rather boast in my infirmities and my weaknesses, and I consider it all a loss. Yes, God's done a lot and we've accomplished a lot, but none of that makes me who I am today. And the minute I think that I'm here because of all those things that I did is the minute that God says, yeah, it was only because of me. Here, here's your golf clap. Now let's move on. Paul said, I consider it all as loss. So meek means I'm willing to yield. Meek means I'm submitted. Leadership is bottom up. Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve. And then the Bible's take it to the next level. Yes, there should be a mutual respect of God's government, but God's government is designed to build people and lift them up and heal them and build a family. So God takes you a step further. He says, treat others better than yourself. Prefer others before yourself. So that requires meekness. 
That's wise. Because I may have the power to crush you. So when the guy says to me at the gym, those people are fools, as soon as I started, because I know a lot, right? Like I've spent 30 years in the word and never looked back. I have so much word, so many experiences that I could probably just slice the guy up in a second. But I would never want to do that because I care and I love and I need to be an accurate representation of Jesus. And I don't want to, I don't need to be prideful, arrogant, or show the guy how smart I am. None of that. When I get around you, I'm never thinking how I can fix you, ever. We were talking about this with my friend David, ever. God had to deal with me with that years ago. If I'm thinking what I can get from, in fact, God would move people out of my life because I'm the one that couldn't be trusted. Because I'd be envious secretly or wishing that I had something from them. And God kills you so you can be authentic, so you can be real, so you can love. Don't you hate the religious weights that wants to try to conform you to something that you're not? And then you feel like you have to be pretentious. The kingdom is life, it's power, it's joy, it's vigorous, it's wonderful, it's, it's amazing. What's not amazing is man-made religion. Yeah. And it's in here, because I was raised with it. I look people in the eyes and lean closer, and then they think, man, pastor's gonna try to fix me, or it's like, no, I'm looking at you with perfect love because I wanna see you the way God sees you. And I don't have an agenda. Kill my agenda. Put it up in flames. Kill your agendas. We're going to look at envy here in a moment. Kill the agenda. And so I started telling this guy about how the Lord turns fools into gold and what he showed me. And basically, I was contrary to what he was. He wanted me to come in agreement with him. Yeah, those people are fools. They're only in it for money. Yeah. There's a whole bunch of people around there. I'm just walked into the gym to work out. Yeah, those idiots, man, they're, they're all just, they're just totally in it for the money. See, God dealt with me. And the minute I start calling them fools, what if God is working in their lives uniquely? What if they're in process just like you were? And it doesn't mean we don't have accurate assessments, but it's what we do with those accurate. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. The problem is I don't know all the facts. I don't know fully as I ought to. I don't know that guy. And a lot of times if God shows me something, he says, you need to keep it on the inside and pray for that person that I would reveal myself to them just as I did to you. Instead of gossip, destruction, division, schism, fighting, all this self-righteousness, selfish ambition, because you think you're right, but you're not righteous. You can be right and not righteous. People sum me up and I'm on display. So I get summed up under the microscope every day. And then God's like, I'm going to kill you more so I can show people what a dead man looks like. He'll do it for you. And never pray that God doesn't reveal this stuff to you, ever, ever. Let it get revealed. Let it come out of you. Break open, because that's the sacrifices of God when you're no longer in hiding. It's, it's beautiful. This is kingdom life. Woo! It's like, oh, man. Do you know even, I had somebody tell me the other day, Pastor, I said, how are you doing? He says, man, I haven't been able to, I, didn't, I haven't been carrying my cross. I know I'm supposed to be carrying my cross, but I haven't fallen short. I looked and I said, oh, man, even Jesus needed help carrying his cross. And he was stunned. And the Lord just hit the rooms like, dude, 
Okay, come here. Oh, you fell short? All have fallen short of the glory of God. No one's, all righteousness is filthy rags. We're all dependent. The minute that you think you've arrived, you are, do not arrive until Jesus comes back. It's, your life's like the blooming onion. It's like, oh, another, wait. Oh, man. What? More? Another layer? Wait, another thing? And then you just cry. A lot. You know, I started to cry once in front of a bunch of kids. It's like, oh, I'm not going to cry. I didn't cry for seven years. And then I said sorry. And then I cried. You don't have to be tough. You have to be authentic. You have to be true and you have to be broken. God has a way. And don't think you're not in a setup. Everything's a test. Wisdom, uh, meekness is the opposite of pride, and it doesn't boast. See, because you know what boasting is? Boasting's really masking. Boasting is actually really trying to cover up something. It covers up, that's what narcissists do. So they're boasting because they're hiding. They're really not that great. And then God will bring somebody in front of you that does it, and you're going to see it, and he's going to say, now I want you to love them because you were just like them. The, the challenge is, is when heavenly wisdom starts to invade your life and your eyes get open to see, if you don't have an accurate understanding of how God sees and you don't know how to apply it properly, you will kill people with it. And that's where the saying, too smart for your own good comes from. Google it. You're too smart for your own good. There's a whole, there's five or six qualities of that person. It's fun, it's fun to Google, look it up. And if you go, man, that's me, repent. So wisdom is honest and it doesn't lie against the truth, right? Look at verse 14 again. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. I was a liar. I don't want to be a liar anymore. But the thing with deception is you don't realize there's lies until God brings heavenly wisdom to show it to you. And then you're just like, man, oh man, you wait. You've been pastoring how long? And you had all this stuff. You know, when God invaded my space with this understanding, he said, you, he said, you have no idea what you've been teaching. I stood up in this church and confessed it. I just want to repent to everybody that the things I've been teaching, I have had no idea. Doesn't mean God wasn't working. My heart was, it doesn't mean I was trying to be deceptive. I just knew about the tip of my fingernail. No idea was, you think you know, but it goes so much deeper. God knows way more, way more. It's like, it's like layers. God's word's like layers. And he's, his word is constantly revealing. Every time I read my Bible, I feel like it's the first time I'm ever reading it. How, how did I read that, not read that before? How did I not know that was there before? Wait, that doesn't mean what I thought it meant? Heavenly wisdom. So wisdom's honest. It doesn't lie. The wise man doesn't live in denial. It uncovers. It uncovers what's in our hearts. 
Wisdom reveals bitter envy and selfish ambition or selfish seeking, and it doesn't allow you to pretend anymore. It's the proper application of the knowledge given. You can't pretend anymore. He loves you the way you are. I'm going to love you the way you are. I care about you, and I want to build you and edify you through perfect love. I may see you doing knucklehead things, and I may think that you're a knucklehead, but I'm still going to love you, and it doesn't mean that there's not justice. Ezra, the prophet, you could read it, was, had what's called God-given wisdom to put judges in the land and then empower to execute justice and imprison people when they lived contrary to God's design. We're not discounting justice, but it's how you apply justice. God is a God of justice. Heavenly wisdom gives you the ability to govern God's word in the world accurately. I'm gonna say it again. Heavenly wisdom gives you the ability to govern with truth God's word in the world properly. It's proper healthy government in the kingdom. So wisdom reveals any bitter envy selfish ambition. It doesn't allow us to pretend anymore. Worldly or earthly selfish and demonic wisdom is this way. It pretends, it hides, it's prideful, it's phony, and it's self-sufficient. It's self-sufficient. That's worldly wisdom. It overcompensates. Do you ever meet people that overcompensate? I have, man, I was a massive overcompensator because I was a man pleaser. So God's like, oh, I'm gonna remove all kinds of stuff out of your life so you stop doing that and just kill you and deal with you. You don't have to please anybody. You don't have to overcompensate for your failures or mistakes. Parents do this all the time. And it's overcompensating out of fear and regret from your past. It gaslights. Worldly, earthly wisdom gaslights. You know what it means to gaslight? Well, let me teach you. <laughs> to gaslight means to manipulate other people by psychological means into questioning their own sanity. I am so smart, I'm gonna make you think you are so stupid. I will spin you out. It's gaslighting. I'll get you to question your sanity. Religion's full of this. If any man thinks he knows anything, he knows not as he ought to know. Paul even said, the more that I thought I knew, I'm like, <laughs> I know nothing. Earthly, selfish, demonic wisdom is sensual. You know what sensual means? You're ruled by your senses. It's all about self-gratification and pleasure, especially sexual. The telltale signs, now hang with me. I know this is heavy. It's, the news is gonna get better. News is gonna get better. But if you don't self-realize, if you don't own it and let God deal with it, these hidden root systems of our heart will never get exposed and cut out and you'll stay the same. My job is to help us all get out of deception. Understand? All right. The, here are the telltale signs of someone that has worldly, selfish, and demonic wisdom. Ready? Number one, it's envious. What is envy? Envy is discontent 
and resentful towards someone else's possessions, quality, and fortune. I'm discontent with somebody and I'm resentful towards somebody because they have something I don't have. It lives in constant comparison. And then it leads to covetousness, which means I want what you have. And the only way I know to get it is if I get you. But if you don't meet with me or we don't get time together, I'm gonna be resentful towards you because I want what you have. I'm envious towards you. God has removed people out of my life that I'm telling you, I was not the safe one because my heart wasn't healthy. People that have possessions, people that have qualities and characteristics that you want, they can sense and feel when you're in it for the wrong reason. So they keep you at a distance. But for me, I had to not be envious towards those people. I had to love them so much so that God would say to me, Don't ask that person for anything ever. Never ask them for anything. Make it about them, not about you. Love well, no matter what. And God would kill that envious thing inside of me. We can all be discontent and resentful towards someone else's possessions or their qualities or their fortune. Why did they get it and not me? Why did he get promoted at work and I didn't get promoted? How come God did it? They were so jacked up. I wasn't, I did it right, they didn't. Why this and why that and how come this? And we find ourselves getting envious. This is, and you might be right. Maybe they didn't deserve it. A great example is the 11th hour's workers. They all got paid the same. So the people that have been there since the morning get paid a wage. Here comes workers at the end of the day, they work one hour and then the, the master of the vineyard says here, I'm gonna pay you the same. And every, all the 10-hour workers were ticked off that the 11th-hour worker got paid the same. And then the master says, I can do whatever I wanna do. I own it. <laughs> the Bible says there's no wisdom, counsel, or judgment or understanding against God. There, you, cannot, you can't even remotely counsel against God. There's no counsel that can stand against God. You know that. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and plot a vain thing against who? My anointed. The battle on abortion, it's all against God. Don't think for a second it's not against God. Your body's no longer your own. Your body was never yours to begin with. God created you. He created life. This is a raging war against him and his standards. You know, I often think about where David said in Psalm 51, against you and you alone have I sinned, when he, he slept with Bathsheba and then murdered her, had her husband murdered. And he says, against you and you alone I've sinned. I'm like, huh? How about Joseph when Potiphar's wife was trying to hook up with him and he ran out and she got his coat, but he said, I won't sin against the Lord. But if I sinned and I sin against you... No, there'd be no knowledge of sin without God's word and standards put in place. You don't break God's laws, they break you. We sell ourselves like Ahab's wife into slavery, but God, like Ahab, buys us out every time. So here's another telltale sign, selfish ambition. Is it about what people think, what what they say? Because trust me, they're gonna say something about you. Somebody's going to say something about you. 
Who cares? At some point, it's like, God will have enough people say enough about you until you get to the point of saying, I'm going to trust you, Lord. It doesn't matter what other people think or say. And you got to stop being moved by your image and self-image and pleasing people and trying to get things from other people and work angles from other people. And here's one that's a big one, confusion. To be confused means that you're uncertain, you lack understanding, you're unclear, you're bewildered, and your mind is unclear. It's a situation of panic. When you're confused, see, the panic attack only comes from the start of confusion. It always starts with a thought. You may not even know it was there. A lot of people get hit with the panic attack in their body, it's like they feel like their heart's going to give out. They're having a heart attack. They get rushed to the house. It always started somewhere. And it always starts with earthly wisdom of trying to figure something out and lack of understanding from heaven. When God brings understanding, he gives you a sound mind. He helps you to think and process straight. There's no confusion with the Lord. So confusion, self Selfish ambition and envy and every evil thing are all telltale signs of earthly wisdom. This wisdom doesn't descend from above, but it comes from somewhere else and it has to be uncovered. But there's a different kind of wisdom. There is a different kind of wisdom. It's one that's not from this world or on the earth. It's one that's not self-seeking, confusing, and full of envy. It's one that's meek, full of love and insight. It's one that gives you access to a treasure chest of understanding and knowledge and how to properly apply that perfect love to yourself, to others, and to every situation that you face. This wisdom comes from heaven. This wisdom comes from above. And here are the telltale signs of that wisdom. First, it's pure. Anything that comes from above and from heaven is pure. There's no darkness, there's no lies, there's no deception, there's no fear, there's no worry, there's no doubt, there's no selfish ambition. None of that comes from above. It's filled with peace. So you walk in full-time peace because you have the Prince of Peace. Now, any wisdom for myself always brings peace and gives peace away to other people. It's gentle. It's always humble and always meek. It's always yielded. I can learn something from every one of you. Every one of you have an experience or can get a download. I've said it before, but say it again. If God can talk through a donkey, he can talk through you and me, right? Wisdom from heaven is considerate of others and it's teachable. It's not prideful. It's yielded. We have to take it to the Lord. We have to not get offended. We have to not take it personal. We have to process it, and we have to have real conversations about it. Wisdom from above has good fruit attached to it. Matthew eleven nineteen. wisdom is justified by her children. So to truly know when somebody's walking in heavenly wisdom, you can see it by what it's producing. The world can say church is foolish, but look at what it's doing to our lives. We need each other. We need training and equipping in family and community. So many of us have shifted and flipped and become more like God because of what he's done here. But the world sees it as foolish. It doesn't matter what the world says because wisdom is justified by our children. I'm a child of wisdom. You are a child of wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. 
And so because we look to him, our lives change. I don't deal acid anymore. I don't deal mushrooms anymore. I don't smoke pot anymore. I don't sleep around anymore. I don't get drunk anymore. I don't lie that I know of. And if I do, I want God to expose it, but I'm not aware of it. I'm not looking at porn. I'm not doing the things that I once did. Only Jesus could have done that. I'm just letting y'all know. Like, I'm just saying to you, this is not religion. This is a, a, I'm a justified child because of wisdom. You got to see this. Let's just say it. Say, I'm a justified child. God justified you because of what he did on the cross and because of the blood. What's the root word of justified? What's the root word of justice? So good fruits. It's not partial, meaning it doesn't play favorites. So God will test you. He'll bring you somebody poor with AIDS and somebody that's a millionaire or a billionaire. Are you going to treat them both the same? Oh, he's tested me with that exact test, by the way, to the T. Am I going to show partiality and favoritism or am I going to love equally? It's not hypocritical in any form. There's no hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means that you're being an actor. And there's religious actors everywhere. And many of you got issues with it. It's like, I'm not going to the church because it's all hypocrites and broken people. And oh, okay. Well, you're just like that. You just don't see it. That's how God does it. The foolishness of God. The weakest of men is the strongest of God. And yet when you see it, if you don't have God's mindset, you will discount it and you'll put yourself in the just judgment justice seat erroneously. And then you guys be patient with me. Always, it always leads to sowing and making peace. So the ultimate outcome is always to make peace. Even when justice is applied to convict somebody, it's always should be done right to bring peace to the land and to ultimately bring peace to the person's heart. That's why we have prison ministry here. We have a great prison. We have rock star prison ministry leaders in this church now. It was a divine orchestration by God. In my best day, I couldn't have done it. God brought us great people like Hector and Irby and their wives and tons of people now that are fighters to go behind bars and reach people that have no hope and are sitting in darkness. Y'all should get a, be a part of the prison ministry, men and women. It'll change your life. In fact, biblically, we're commanded to visit those that are in prison. All right, you ready for a few more scriptures? I'm gonna pray for you. Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Walk in wisdom towards those who are outside redeeming the time. Wisdom redeems time. So in all the years that you blew it up, when God brings you heavenly wisdom, he starts to redeem the time. And then he says, show it to those that don't know what you know. The outside doesn't mean out these front doors. It means on the outside of the kingdom. So walk in wisdom towards those that are on the outside. 
Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So wisdom is the ability to accurately share Christian truths and principles with those that don't believe what you believe. So you season it with grace and salt and with perfect love. You can only do that with wisdom. So when I started to tell this guy about genuinely how his belief system was erroneous, the way he was judging the people that he saw on YouTube, I could see his eyes. They got heavy. And I, was, I could see he didn't have the capacity to handle what I was showing him. I had to back off. I was, I was laying a weight of truth on him, but wisdom showed me pull back, high five him. So I told him my point, like God showed me something about that. And I had to stop because if I wasn't careful, I would have tried to fix or correct him or teach him something that he wasn't ready to receive. Wisdom gives you answers to those on the outside, but the key is how you answer. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19, let no one deceive himself. Let no one deceive himself. Our first deception was with ourselves. When you get saved, people don't even say, what did God save me from? You. I mean, come on, y'all. It's not that complicated. He saves you out of something and into something. So let no one deceive himself. Anyone of you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. It's like, I'm not gonna lift my hands. I'm not gonna come up to the front. I'm not gonna... We make decisions of what we are and aren't going to do. And God says, stop being wise in your own eyes. Just do what I tell you. Become a fool. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you sit down. I don't care if you fall asleep. I don't care if you lay down. All I care about is that you do what God tells you to do the way he tells you to do it. And you got to not be willing to become a fool. I think of the troll on the pencil. Hair's all fixed up really nice. And God comes along. I think about the old, um, what was the old Looney Tunes cartoon? You shake the guy, turn the guy upside down and shake out all the money. Was it Roadrunner or shake all the, it's like, I'm gonna shake, I'm gonna get everything out of you. It's like, God, grab me by the ankle and flip me upside down. I don't care what it looks like. I would rather, people would call Paul a fool. He's like, oh, call, oh, you're calling that a fool? Oh yeah, I'm a fool for Christ. The wisdom of this world is the, fool, is the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Remember this. It doesn't mean there's a lot of great things. Th- there's not a lot of great things we can learn by people in the world. But what it means is compared to the knowledge of God, it's foolishness. And if you put your trust in the things of this world, you're trusting in something that's temporary that does not come from above. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God for it's written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. So the wise and the rulers of this world are getting caught. Listen to me. The rulers of the world are getting busted. The White House, busted. False systems in our nation, busted. And if you don't see it and you don't know how to deal with it, you'll become just like them wrapped around religiosity. 
The Lord, and again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they're futile. God knows everything about us, every nook and cranny. He knows our thoughts. He wants to make your thoughts his thoughts. So we have to stop deceiving ourselves and allow the uncovering to take place. This is where I want to leave you with this message because this is such a heavy-weighted topic to hit in this service. And maybe I'll keep talking more about it. I might do the dark side of wisdom next week, maybe. Pentecost is coming up June 5th. We're going to talk about the heavenly gift, okay? But we have to stop being deceived and say, okay, God, anything in me, any false narratives, any false belief systems, I need heavenly wisdom, but you're never gonna get heavenly wisdom until you're born again. Born again means I surrender all to you. It doesn't have to happen in an altar call. It can, it can happen in your car. You just, it can happen just by you crying out help. You can, it can happen by you just saying, Lord, I believe. It's like, here I come. God, we got all our narratives. Like, you got to do it this way. He's like, man, God, the minute you think it's got to be done one way, God does it another way. God turns fools into gold. Become a fool that you would become wise. God sees worldly wisdom as foolish and crafty and the futile intellect of man's devices without him. 1 Corinthians 1, 24 and 25, to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Let's say that together. Jesus, Jesus is, the God. is the wisdom of God. Isaiah eleven two, talking about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. That's Jesus. He's the wisdom of God. King David was promoted because he acted more wisely than all the rest. That's a whole beautiful message in and of itself. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature when he was a young boy up until the age of 30. Jesus spoke with great wisdom and authority, amazing the scholars at 12. Joshua stayed night and day in the house of God and chose to not be with all his friends and one day became the leader of the nation of Israel over the Jordan River into the promised land. Later, Jesus would preach to the Pharisees and all those in the temple, and they would say to themselves, wait a minute, who is this guy? Where did he come from? How did he get such great authority? Isn't this the carpenter's son from Nazareth? This is blowing my mind. Now, I could go on and on and on and on and teach you some great things, but I'm going to tell you one awesome scripture I got a ton of stuff on wisdom. I'm going to leave you this. This is uh, Proverbs 30, 2 and 3. I'll paraphrase it for you. Learn wisdom or be stupid. <laughs> no, listen, that's, don't shoot the messenger. It says that. I was stupid. I did not learn the wisdom of God. Wisdom is a gift. There's a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge that comes from the Holy Spirit. That's a gift from God. We don't put our faith in the power of man, but in the wisdom of God. God trusts you with mysteries that are hidden, that are kept from the rulers of this age. So you see differently than they see. So we're so angry at the world. They don't know what you know. And until they get born again, they're never gonna know what you know. Please, beloved, hear me. You're so mad at the world, and I get it. It's injustice, 
and I hate the injustice, but those people do not know what we know. In fact, the Bible says if the rulers of this world had known what we know, they would not have crucified Jesus. They're still crucifying him in their mind today. They don't know. Solomon requested wisdom to lead. And in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Kings 3 and 4, God appears to Solomon in the night in a vision. And he says, ask me anything that you want and I'll give it to you. Now, let me ask you, if God came to you and said, I'll give you anything you want, what would you ask for? A million dollars? Solomon would ask God instead of money or death to his enemies, he would ask for wisdom. 1 Kings 4.29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and exceedingly great understanding and largeness of heart like the sand on the seashore. He enlarged his heart. That's why I say to you, if you want to expand externally, you have to expand internally. That means you have to grow in wisdom and knowledge and understanding of who you are and who God is so that you can manage what God gives you properly. Some of us are living in the hustle. Hustle, 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 toil, toil, toil. It's not how God wants you to live. There's a better way. If you come to the Lord, you can work a lot smarter and less harder. First Kings 10, 23. So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. No one had riches and wisdom like he did, except of course, when Jesus came. But see, even Solomon went astray. So let me tell you, if God appeared to me tonight and said, ask me anything you want and I'll give it to you. You know what I would say? I want to be like you. Change my nature. I want to know you. Because wisdom without proper understanding from the heart of God will kill you. Go read the book of Ecclesiastes tonight. Solomon got the revelation and said, everything is meaningless and foolish and a chasing of the wind compared to God. And the more that he knew, the more it killed him. And ultimately he would sacrifice babies in demonic worship. I said, how in the world, how could a guy that God loved so much that built in a temple and had incredible clouds and experiences and because the point is, is that even wisdom not properly, properly applied from the heart of God, genuinely being transformed, even Solomon couldn't do it. What makes you think you can? My prayer would be, God, make me like you. Lord, I want to know you and accurately make you known. Yes, I want to lead with wisdom. Yes, I want to, I want to, I want to lead people right. But if I don't become like you, then, I've, then I'm just getting the understanding without the transformation. Do you guys see that? I couldn't finish this message without telling you that. Wisdom brings stability to the times we live in. Isaiah 33, 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times. Ephesians 1, 17. The apostle Paul prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And that's going to be my prayer today. And that's what I pray every day. Lord, I ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And then Paul would go on to say that your eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. What if you're not seeing what God really wants you to see? What if you're in deception and don't know it, which is what deception is? What if I still have deceptive belief systems in me that God needs to deal with? I'll own it. Is that all right with you? 
Will you walk along that journey with me if I confess something that God showed me and not beat me down when you got a house of cards in your own heart? Can you imagine how awesome the church would be if we weren't trying to get anything or fix anything? There's a mutual benefit and there's koinonia where we have fellowship. There's friends in here that do things for me that love me and there's things that I do for them. There's always a, a benefit, there's benefactory love. But if it doesn't come from a pure, pure heart, I'm just trying to get an angle. I'm not loving you for who you are. I just want what you have. Oh, could that possibly be in your heart? Maybe. This is a beautiful thing. This is Freedom. I hate the religious ways. If when you really discover perfect love and become who you're called to be, and it's real and authentic family, the way it's supposed to be, this is the way it is with my kids. I don't put any shame on them. I don't want them to be anything but what God wants them to be. I lead them and anytime I discipline them, it's because I love them and I'm for them. Everything I do is for their edification, everything. Even when they don't understand it, I'm for them. My kids don't have to do anything to make me look good. I couldn't preach this also without giving you James 1, verse 5. We're going to close with this. Can I tell you how I read this? I read this this way. Since I'm lacking wisdom. So, oh, if any, wait a minute. Since all y'all, that's kind of how I read. I'm like, I don't know as I ought to, so I'll just own it. I lack wisdom. So God says, ask of him. You need wisdom. You need proper understanding and application of how to apply God's truths. And then God supernaturally comes in and gives you words of wisdom. In your best day, no book, no school, no education, no degree could have ever given you the insight of how to handle that situation. That person that you don't like, that situation you don't like, that money, the struggles, the problems, the challenges, raising a child. Man, especially as a single parent, it takes supernatural wisdom from heaven to raise a child. Dealing with complicated people in the world, your finances, your home, God's got a plan. It's all a setup. Yeah. Are you going to fear and combust or trust? <laughs> really, here's your two options, trust or combust. Aren't you done combusting? I'm like, man, I've combusted too much. And then here's another thing that happens. After I had my encounter about two, three months later, my wife I was combusting. She says, oh, so much for your encounter. It's like, man, she stabbed me with a dagger. It's, my, it's funny to me now. It's funny. It wasn't funny at the time. I said, man, I, I didn't know what to say. I went to the Lord. God used my wife so much. I said, God, what happened? He says, oh, oh, I just revealed it to you so you could start to see it. It doesn't mean that it all went away overnight. I'm just leading you through a different process. Now I'm going to show it to you so you can repent. 
You know what I said to her? I came back to her and said, man, you're right. But you know what? I'm sorry, and I repented, and I'm not going to own it anymore. And I now can see it instead of protect it. I'm amazed how much stuff I protect. We all are protecting things. We live in a world of self-image and protection. But in the kingdom, it's exposing. Think about Saul when he went to kill David and David was hiding out with Samuel and the prophets. And they're all prophesying. What did Saul do when he got there to kill him and he stepped into the presence of God with the prophets? He started taking his clothes off. Man, I just feel the anointing on that. Because I'm not going to hide anymore. You can't hide in the presence of God. He's for you. He knows what's best. If you lack wisdom, ask God. He gives it to you liberally. You need wisdom. You cannot do anything you're called to do without heavenly wisdom. Let's all stand. Whew. I know some of you were really concerned I was about to take my clothes off. <laughs> I do have a funny story about that. Once when I was in worship, I had a shirt like this on. It was a little too small. And I did not have an undershirt on. And I'm worshiping. I'm dancing. I have my long hair. I'm wild. And somehow my shirt had come unbuttoned. And I went about 10 minutes just showing everybody my chest in worship. It was hilarious. It was hilarious. Not here. No, I wear undershirts now because that could happen. That could happen. All right. What's the takeaway? You're not going to stay the same. What's the takeaway? You're going to let God deal with you out there. The car, the shower. Look, I don't even need to do an altar call because every one of you needs this and you need heavenly wisdom and you need to just bring it to the light. And ask God for wisdom and say, but here's the thing. When you ask God for wisdom, heavenly wisdom reveals what? Envy, selfish ambition, and confusion. And so much of this confusion and selfish ambition came from how we were raised in our childhood and a lack of proper fathering. That's why we need a heavenly father. Because I was taught to hide. I was taught to please. I was taught to protect. Just close your eyes.
I just pray for you. And my prayer is that your heart would be healed and every hidden thing would be revealed, that you wouldn't be afraid to enter into this process of true brokenness. It's all a setup. God loves you. He's for you. He knows you. He cares for you. And Lord, as we start to see the envy and the confusion and the selfish ambition, please, God, don't let us hide it. Lord, let there be a great uncovering in this house. Uncover the house, God. Uncover, uncover the house, Lord. Uncover my heart. You just tell the Lord, I'm sorry for protecting myself. Whatever you want to show me, God. Whatever you want me to see. When I see it, Lord, let me not be afraid. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Where perfect love is, there's no fear. You do not have to be afraid. Let God heal you. No more running, son. No more hiding, daughter. You're not alone. You're safe now. You're safe. You're safe. Thank you, Lord, for the journey. Thank you that you're in the going. Be with us, Lord, as we go today. Be with your people, Lord. I bless you all so much. Speak life to your family. Speak life to your children. Speak life to your calling. Speak life to your heart. Speak life to your finances. Speak life to everything you put your hand to. That you do it God's way, not your way. Repent, beloved. Repent, change the way you think. I just love you, Lord. And I love you all. God loves you so much. And I bless you as you go today. In Jesus' name, amen.